This is Truth Encounter, a time to wrestle with ideas from God's Word and how they apply directly to our lives in the real world. As we draw to a close of our in-depth look at the foundation document of ancient Israel, Deuteronomy, let's join our study leader Dave Wurtzen as he introduces our study titled, The Jewish Blessing, by asking the Lord to open our hearts so that we can understand. Dave? Lord Jesus, we're coming from many different situations in life, Lord. Some have faced physical illnesses past week, and others have faced real challenges at work. Some are recovering from real crises in their own individual families. Others have had just a blessed week of rejoicing, Lord. We're coming from all different life experiences. But again, we're going to rely upon you to speak to us from your holy word. We pray, Lord, that just as you spoke to Israel many years ago, that you might speak to our own hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to all think deep in your soul as we begin. I want you to ask yourself, do you feel blessed today? If I were to ask you deep inside of your heart, do you feel that you're a special person? Do you feel that you're under the blessing of really being blessed in your life, not just underneath someone's blessing, but do you feel that you are a specially blessed person? You know, it seems from the time that we're small, we are incredibly responsive to either blessing or cursing. In fact, it might be in athletics. You know, you can start to be going out for sports. And one of the things that's, that's real important as you start to get involved in learning new skills is to receive a blessing. There's one coach that works with you and, and they give a blessing. They bring a blessing. And they're not only teaching you and instructing you. And I find, for example, in coaching kids in little league sports, that it's real easy for me to have all these grandiose ideas of what a great player I was when I was 10 years old or 8 years old or, or 12 years old. And I remember, you know, that, that I was such a great athlete. And Mary will constantly nudge me and say, you know, you really idealized the way that it was. But one thing that a coach can do is a coach can have this idealized view of the way that they think it was, and then they're coming down on the kids. Rather than bringing a blessing, they bring a cursing. Everybody can think back over your lives. You know, it might have been in athletics I was just mentioning, or maybe in school. Like you're trying to learn new math skills, for example. Uh, maybe you're trying to get down first algebra, that first year in algebra. How many of you remember that? And some of you look, remember those days with pain and agony. And some of your math teachers, you know, are, are real positive and they really encourage you. But there's other math teachers that they cover the blackboard with chalk and they get chalk all over themselves and, and you're, you're sitting there listening to them for about a half an hour and you're just totally fogged out. And you raise your hand, you ask a question and, and the teacher just comes down all over you. They say, how could you be so stupid? Any idiot could understand how to do that. And you just do it like this, and they go poof, 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 you know, all, over the, all over the blackboard again, and, and still you don't get it. And they make you feel stupider and stupider and stupider. How many of you have ever had situations like that? A curse comes into your life. Some of you still can't learn math because every time we try to get you going in math, you remember that horrible, cursed time when you were put down. So you feel like you're really dumb. You feel like you're really stupid when it comes to math. We could go through any area of life, whether it's music. Some of you, the very first time you tried to sing, 
I mean, it just came out terrible. You were off key and, and you were not singing the right notes and somebody came down on you and instead of being blessed, you were cursed. I want every one of you to think back over your life and realize a tremendous effect. As moms and dads, I want you to think over this past week. Have you brought a blessing into your family this week or have you brought a, cur- brought a curse? As we analyze and as we think about the atmosphere of your home, are you constantly bringing blessing or are you constantly bringing the negative curse? The book of Deuteronomy, one way you could look at the book of Deuteronomy, now that we've come almost to the completion of our study, one way that you could look upon it is the book of Deuteronomy gives you profound insight into how you motivate people, how you get their attention, and how you train them. The book of Deuteronomy shows you all different ways of motivation. We've had Moses warning us. We've had Moses warning us about the judgment that will follow. We have Moses expressing love. We have Moses uh, giving prophecy of what's going to happen in the future. But as we come to the end of the book of Deuteronomy, this chapter 33 is very important because in your own home life, in your school life as a school teacher, in your life and your businesses, it's very important to understand that deep in your soul, there needs to be not a final cursing, but a final blessing. I want you to open your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 33. And as we read this chapter, as we study together, I want all of you to ask yourself, is the overall bottom line of my heart a blessing or a cursing? And I want you to listen to me because it's very possible that your family life could depend upon what I say. You see, if you're bringing a curse in your family life, then your children are not going to have the confidence that they need to have. They're not going to have the ability to face some of the challenges of life. They're going to quit too soon. They're going to have a negative spirit. They're going to have trouble with depression as they grow older. Because all of those things flow from the curse. You see, whether it's athletics, and I think because athletics is so important to all of us, we can really understand it when we talk about the metaphor of a coach. You see, a good coach needs to train people. They need to teach them the fundamentals. They're going to push them harder than they could ever be pushed. And Moses has definitely done that in Deuteronomy. He pushes his people and he challenges his people. But the bottom line of the book in chapter 33, we find out that Moses, as a representative of God, deep in his soul, there's not a curse. He's not rejecting those that he's ministering to. He's not turning away from them. He's not down on them. In fact, the bottom line of Moses' heart is a blessing. And I want every dad, I want every school teacher, I want every coach, I want every person to ask yourselves, is the bottom line of your own heart a blessing or a curse? Because it totally changes everything. A coach that in the bottom of his heart is giving a curse. They're angry, they're upset, they're rejecting will produce a ball team that's down, that's discouraged, that can't go on to victory. It might be the same kind of words, the same kinds of training, but if the bottom line is not blessing, it is cursing, then there's rejection. And I wrestle with that in my own heart. There's been some little league teams, as Jonathan and Joel came up, there were some games when I wanted to reject, when I wanted to curse. And I remember it was almost like sometimes the Holy Spirit had to put a, put a big clamp on my mouth to keep me from saying that curse word, and not just a four-letter word, but even worse than that, a word that could tear a little boy's heart or a little girl's heart completely apart. And so it's so important for me today to ask myself, is the bottom line of my own heart blessing or is it cursing? 
And Moses, this great daddy of Israel, Moses presents himself as the father of Israel. And one of the things that fathers need to do, just like coaches need to do, just like all leaders need to do, is they need to finally bring a blessing. And that's what Moses does in chapter 33. The chapter begins, this is the blessing. See those words, chapter 33, verse 1. This is the blessing that Moses, the man of God, pronounced on the Israelites before his death. That's an incredible statement. What it's saying is that Moses, first of all, was a man of God. He was God's man. He was the man that belonged to God. In the Old Testament, the phrase, the man of God, is often used with, of a man who has the words of God on his lips. Moses was a prophet. One of the things that it means that he was a man of God, it means that Moses was a prophet. He means that the Spirit of God moved in his heart. And so what we've been reading and studying this book is the word of God himself. Not just Moses' word, but because Moses is a man of God, the words that we've been studying transcend any human Moses. And we're hearing the word of God. Moses was a man of God. In the Old Testament it meant he was a man that could give us revelation from God. But it also meant that Moses was a man that had a relationship with God. You see, we might not be able to have God breathe through us to receive new revelation because we already have God's revelation in our hands as we study the word of God. But just like Moses, we can have God near us. We can have God indwelling us. The scripture says that the moment we receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. I should be able to say over you, you are God's man, you are God's woman, that you are close to God that you're living aligned with him, that you're living in fellowship with him, that your life is an expression of a living relationship with God. And therefore, we can all be called saints in the Apostle Paul's language. He'll write to all the saints at Philippi or to all the saints at Ephesus. And what he's saying is that under the new covenant, when Christ comes into our heart, it's not just a few select people that can be called the man or the woman of God, but all of you can be that. We also use the idea of the man of God or the woman of God in our, in our own church family or a group of believers. Anytime that a group of believers get together, we'll use the idea of this was a man of God to refer to a, an older saint, a saint who has walked many years with God and has given us evidence of the power of God into their life. Gloria Gaither gave a very moving declaration of family life. She raised the issue at the beginning of her talk as she began about, can we be sure that Jesus can carry us through in our family life? Can we be sure that we'll make it? And she, she told an experience where they went out to a small town in Nebraska where the, one of their kids lives and one of their new grandbabies was being dedicated. And they talked about just what we did the last time we gathered together as we dedicated two of our babies. And Gloria, like any proud grandmother, talked about the, the incredible joy she had in that service. And all the church family entered into a covenant. Bill had written a song with Gloria that kind of emphasized the covenant relationship that a church family enters into as we dedicate a new little baby. But then Gloria, after the dedication, she was saying that there was a cynical thought that came up into her heart. You know, all this church family's talking about Jesus being able to meet the needs of this little baby. All the church family is talking about the fact that they're going to be good examples and they're not going to be hypocrites, that they're going to really try to teach this little baby the truth. But Gloria said, how can I be sure 
that it's all going to work. And then Gloria said this, on the day that her little grandbaby was dedicated, they also buried an older saint. He was an old man that had already lived all of his life. And this old man had given his life to Nebraska and South Dakota, right out there in the, in the heart of our country. And what he had done, he'd given his life to going from one town to the next, starting new baby churches. Many of those churches are still existing. He was a man of God. He wasn't a preacher, he was a layman, but as a layman, he went from one town to the next and he would work with believers getting new churches started. And at his memorial service, at his homegoing service, people came from all over Nebraska, all over South Dakota, all these little podunk places where he had been a man of God. They all came to celebrate and to remember and to honor him. And Gloria made this connection. How do we know that it works? How do we know that being God's man, being God's daughter, being God's woman, how do we know it's going to work? It's in the flow of the continuity of God's family. Yes, there are many that go by the wayside, and all of us can think of people that have done that. But right here in your own church family, you can look around and you can look at some of those that have gone before. You can learn from them and you can realize that God can still be faithful. And that we still can have the power of the Spirit produce in us the character change and the life change so that as we grow older, people can look upon us and call us a man or a woman of God. I would pray with all my heart that it would become a passion of your life to be like Moses, to be a man or a woman of God. You know why you need to do that? Because men and women of God produce blessing. Men, men and women of God produce an effect upon the lives of people that are around them that, that just roll down through the generations. God says that he will declare his love and his mercy and his grace down to the thousandth generation of those that love him. That's why it's so important for every daddy to listen to what I'm saying to you today. If you're a man of God and you bring a blessing like Moses does upon his children instead of a curse, it's going to produce an untold, unbelievable effect upon your family down to the thousandth generation, which is God's way of saying it just will never end. You moms, if you bring a blessing, if you're a woman of God, if you're a woman of God, then you're going to bring a blessing in your family. And your tongue is going to give a blessing in your family. And that's going to have an unbelievable effect upon your children, the confidence they have and the security they have and the courage they have. That's why it's so important to follow Moses' example. Moses is one of those dads that we can look at. He's one of those parents that we can look at that instead of bringing a curse upon others, he brings a blessing. This is his final word. He's spoken strong to these people. He's spoken hard to these people. But the bottom line of his heart is he is a man that brings a blessing and not a curse. Now, you say, well, Dave, how can I do that? You see, if I'm really honest, deep in my own soul today, I don't feel like there is a blessing there. In fact, I find a lot of anger deep inside of me. It's, I'm, I, I'm, I'm uptight about everything. I'm not sure life is going to work out. And, and I feel just threatened, and, and I feel like I'm not sure I'm going to make it. And so I can't bring a blessing to others because I'm, I'm always seeing just the critical side. How can I change that? Moses is going to tell us how. You see, the way to find a blessing to give to others is for you to receive a blessing yourself. 
You see, the vertical relationship in our life, like I've often told you, is always connected with a horizontal relationship. If you're having trouble on the horizontal relationship of your life, if you're cursing and you're bringing a negative spirit and you're having a really hard time on this horizontal level, then you need to check on the vertical level. You need to ask yourself, do I feel that I've received a blessing from God? Because one of Satan's most horrible lies is to convince you that you're not blessed. That you're a bad person, that you're a negative person, that you can never be loved by God, that God had rejected you. And that's not true. It says, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet, what, sinners, Jesus died for us. Paul goes on to argue, if Jesus loved us like that when we were sinners, how much more does he love us now that we become his children? The way to be able to give a blessing to others is to respond to this vertical relationship with God where God is bringing a blessing to us. And that's where Moses begins the blessing on upon his people. In other words, you can almost just see this great patriarch. I can almost see him invite some of the, the children, some of the teenagers up as he gives this speech. And I can see him laying hands as this old patriarch upon the next generations. And he pronounces a blessing. And he begins by reminding the nation of Israel about this vertical relationship which they have with God. Look what he says. It says, the Lord came in verse 2. He said, he began his blessing like this. The Lord came from Sinai. Who is the Lord? First of all, the word that's used there is the personal name, the name Yahweh, from which we get the English translation Jehovah. It's the personal name for the God that was intimately there for Israel. It was the God that saw their terrible situation down in Egypt. It was the God that felt their pain and could hear those whips and could see the blood on their backs from the slavery that they were in bondage in in Egypt. Whenever Israel heard the name Yahweh, when they heard the name Jehovah, it reminded them that this was the God that saw their slavery in Egypt and he has delivered them. He has come. It's the Lord that's for them. It's the personal God that's for them. Now, he uniquely came down to them at Mount Sinai. The Lord came from Sinai. He dawned over them from Seir. Seir is the area of Edom where Esau went to live. And what it's speaking about is from, the, from deep in the Sinai Peninsula, down by the Gulf of Elat, all the way up through, up until the area of Petra, which is a modern-day Jordan, there's a range of rugged, rugged mountains there's less vegetation that are in some of the, the areas of the Rockies. The Rockies have aspens and beautiful trees on them. These, these mountains are barren. They're treeless. And this was the habitat. This was the place where Israel lived for 40 years. In fact, Moses lived almost all of his life within sight of this mountain range. Mount Paran, Mount Seir, Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is at the very southern part. Mount Seir is up to the northern part. And it's this ridge of mountains that acts like a rib right up and down this barren part of the world. But any of you that have lived near the mountains, any of you that have ever been able to spend some time in Colorado, or if you were raised where I was, where I was raised in mountains, one of the things you know is, is the brilliant sunrises. The sun coming up. In fact, I remember one camp that I was on. Uh, we were on the top of a mountain and we climbed up in these pine trees because we were still below. The, uh, the tree line was still below us. And so there's still tre- it, was, it was above us. So the pine trees were still growing. So to get a good view, we shinned up in these pine trees. And the sun came up over New Hampshire and Vermont. 
there's fog over all these beautiful mountain lakes. And as the sun come up, it starts to filter through the, all this moisture and incredible colors, dazzling colors go all over. It's one of the most beautiful sights that you can ever see. As the sun comes up, it just spreads those beautiful rays. And Moses is reminding his people that day after day as they wander in the wilderness, they have seen the sun come up over those mountains and they've seen it spray that sunlight. And what Moses does when he sees those sun's rays coming, when he sees that incredible illumination, what is he reminded of? He's not reminded of Mother Nature. He's not reminded of the great nature God. He's reminded of the God of Mount Sinai who came down and revealed the Ten Commandments. That's what Moses is saying. Moses is saying to the children of Israel, the first reason that you can know that you're blessed, the first reason that you can know that God is for you is because God has cared so much for you that after he delivered you from Egypt, he came to Mount Sinai and God himself had shown his light upon you. And he uses the symbol of, of shining rays of light and he uses that metaphor as a metaphor to explain to us what the word of God is. I want every child, I want every teenager, I want every adult to realize the precious gift of light that we have in this precious book. The book of Deuteronomy lays the whole moral foundation of our culture. That's what it means when it says, when Moses says the Lord came from Mount Sinai. He came with myriads of his holy ones from the south, from the mountain slopes. The slope that's in the south from where Moses is preaching now, he's preaching from Moab. So down to the south is where Mount Sinai is. And Moses pictures this great king coming with his whole heavenly court. The book of Galatians, chapter 3. The book of Hebrews, chapter 1 and 2. Stephen's speech before the, the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 7 all talk about a Jewish tradition that said that God mediated his law. He gave the Mosaic law through the agency of angels. And this is the verse. These are the verses they get that from. And Moses is picturing, as God came down upon Mount Sinai, it was not only the Lord God of heaven and earth, but all of his heavenly court. Myriads of his angels came. And what I want you to see is that Moses is picturing like a brilliant sunrise that took place on Sinai as we have a union point. We have a union point between that ultimate spiritual world and our present world. One of the issues that you need to be really committed to in your life is that in the scriptures, in the law of Moses, in the continuing revelation that leads to the revelation of Jesus Christ, that ultimately closes with the book of Revelation, that you have in this revelation the union between that supernatural world and the natural world. That's what Moses is saying. He's saying that this entire world of angels, the world of all the messengers of God, were involved in bringing revelation to the children of Israel there on Mount Sinai. It's very important. Because every one of you is going to be influenced by that ultimate supernatural world. And it's going to be absolutely determinative on whether or not your life has a blessing or whether or not it has cursing, whether or not you receive that union with the supernatural world through God and through his moral law, and through the message that has been mediated to us through the angels that eventually came through his messenger Moses, or whether you're going to receive other messages. In fact, you can never get away from that, that kind of a union. 
It's incredible. I just, I'm watching some of the advertisements, waiting for the news to come on. One advertisement comes on after another about aliens from outer space, about conquering this world. We are moving into what we call the postmodern age. You see, the modern age was an age that began with the Enlightenment that said there isn't any supernatural at all. There's just now. There's just the world of things and just the world of material power and energy. The world's not saying that now. Now we've moved into what we call the post-modern age. And it is a world that is again filled with spirits. It's a world that's again filled with supernatural creatures. It is a world that is opening tremendous doors to the occult. It's a world, in other words, when I first started preaching, you know, even going back over to some of the tapes that I made, a holiday like, like Halloween, I could easily say to you, well, it's just really a fun time. But slowly but surely over the years, we have the invasion and the occult tries to get more and more of a handle on all these different things. And so now we have all kinds of, of, of movies and all kinds of books and all kinds of TV shows that focus on the world of mystery, the world of the occult. It's all around you. Moses is saying that you're going to decide which side of that world you're going to be on. Are you going to receive your insight into the supernatural world through the occult? through the, what we might call the mystery religions, through the world of evil, and being enamored with that, or are you going to receive a blessing by building your life on the supernatural revelation that Moses has given to us, in which there really is a revelation of what is right and what is wrong. How can you know what is right and what is wrong in the modern and spiritual arena? Dave is firmly convinced that even in this postmodern age of the occult and pluralistic beliefs about God, the Bible still confronts us with a truth that can assure us of a safe landing in eternity. Join us again next week as Dave continues from this point discussing how we can counterattack the false supernatural world of the occult with the truth from God's Word. <laughs>